and welcome to the DM's Book Club. Uh, it's a podcast where we read about some of Dungeons & Dragons and discuss how we'd include it in our role-playing campaigns. I'm David, guest host what? for this session. <laughs> huh? <laughs> and with me, I have the wonderful and talented Fiona. Oh, wonderful and talented. <laughs> it was another Fiona, but we're stuck with you. Oh, am, am, am I the better Fiona? <laughs> no, I'm reading my old notes. Oh, <laughs> how are you, David? Um, well, I've just moved house. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm finally at the point now where there are less than a dozen boxes everywhere. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, good. Good, yeah. good. And actual furniture. Compared to that fake furniture you have dotted around. Exactly. My fake make-believe chairs may have done fantastic work on my quads, but uh, I, you know, was in serious pain. Now I have actual chairs. It's lovely. And how are you? Oh, I'm very well. Uh, Work is work. I've been doing lots of editing. I've been doing lots of reading. And, you know, I think we're just doing, just taking along, you know, it's getting into winter. Uh, The clocks have gone back, had nice sleep, all the usuals. (laughs) Pretty much what we want. Mm-hmm. Except for the whole going into winter thing, that's not fun. For for women, it's like, how many cardigans can I put on at the same time without looking silly? And the answer is, three. <laughs> yeah, well, think of it, it's just extra padding, isn't it? Exactly. So you'll always be warm. And we get to bring out the nice big coats. Big coats. Have you got your big coat out then, David? I do have my big coat out. Mm-hmm. Well, I say I have my big coat out. My big coat isn't actually that thermally efficient, but it looks fantastic. Oh, uh, yeah, the, the the sort of fashionista big coat of the yeah. North. I yeah. like those, yeah. The, the long black coat, it's uh, very matrixy. I enjoy it. <laughs> oh, that's an, age, that's an ancient reference. Oh, God. Shall I tell you what we're going to talk about today, I David? would <laughs> love you to tell me what we're going to talk about today. So, big coats, no. Uh, so today, David, that's uh, sort of a companion piece to our previous one, because last time you were on this podcast, you talked to us about paladins being the best sort of roleplay class, yeah. or a really good one to start off with. Yeah. And I have decided to come back with a counter-argument and say that the best class to roleplay first, or play as your first character, is a barbarian. And so we're going to look at the barbarians and, and the seven different paths that are currently out there for people to explore. Okay. All right, then. That's a bold statement. The <laughs> best class. Yes. Now, are we talking the best class for roleplay ability? The best class for new players? What? I'm going to say for roleplay ability. But, I mean, well, we've talked about this before, actually. When we've created characters, usually when we, we've got new players in our campaigns, we say, oh, do you prefer to like fight at range? Mm. Uh, do you like magic? Or do you like to be up close and personal? And if you're the sort of person that likes being up close and personal and dealing lots of damage and not too bothered about being hit, then barbarians are the way to go. And realistically, there are very few things mechanically you have to remember. Now, I know I just said that out loud because, as David knows, I forget things all the time when I play my Barbarian. There's so few things you have to remember her Barbarian. Fiona forgets everything all the time. To be fair, one of the things I do forget is... I will. One of the things I do forget is a feat rather than an actual barbarian thing. But even then, once I remember that, like at least for one for one feat I have, two barbarian things go out of the window. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like there's only so much space in your brain. (laughs) The barbarian section of your brain. Not the barbarian and not that I'm calling it a stupid class. Careful. I actually quite like it. Good. The barbarian part of your brain. Not that it requires that much information. It's still a <laughs> tiny segment of your brain. 
exactly like I, and i would say like when you read it through certainly in the player's handbook it's only, again like all the sort of um official sort of original classes in the player's handbook it is only two or three pages and then it goes into more detail about the sort of uh what's it the specialities they, and they're called primal paths yeah. in the barbarian shall i give you a brief overview about what a barbarian is david please do imagine i i'm just sitting down at my first D&D character sheet. Yeah. And I'm a bit like, yeah, I, I kind of, you know, I'm a bit of a fan of Conan. The <laughs> Barbarian, not the show. Not the, not the <laughs> talk show host. Could you imagine if you made that faux pas? <laughs> right. you, you play a talk show Barbarian. <laughs> that would be really cool. Like, Just, your, your charisma is so high <laughs> as a result. I always thought, actually, no, that, that's that's later. But remind me to tell you my idea about a high intelligence barbarian. I'm excited. I'm excited. Right, okay, go on. Uh, I've just sat down. Yeah. I've got my blank character sheet in front of me. I'm mm -hmm. about to play my first session of D&D. Why should I play a barbarian? Realistically, barbarians can be boiled down to one thing, and that thing is rage. <laughs> I love it already. <laughs> they are defined by their rage, you know. It's like um it's more than an emotion for most people. You know, you you we've all been in those situations, usually, you know, in our day-to-day -day lives when you feel a bit cross with someone. And that's a very British thing. The British barbarian. I get a bit cross. I get a little bit cross, a little bit oof, a bit pissed off you know for a barbarian when they get angry it is just something that drives them to do incredible almost sort of superhuman things so like the superhuman strength superhuman sort of fierceness and and the sort of it's just uncanny what they can become so they have stuff like i mean when you see a barbarian when you think of barbarian like conan was a very good example you think of the arnold schwarzenegger crossfit-esque sort of like dorito shaped body the upside down triangle yeah. with muscles uh, that you know the muscles abs have muscles. yeah muscles have muscles have its own face all that sort of thing <laughs> but also it has it is described as something someone who has uh, uncanny reflexes that they can sort of they are prepared for the fight you know using their their rage as it is they can uh, overcome surprise and all that sort of thing and resilience is a big thing as well they are hefty meat slabs so you, you know like the muscles is great but then they can take several hits and still not go down and that can be quite frightening when you're fighting against someone and you just see you, you we've all been in those boss fights on resident evil and you see somebody coming towards you and you, you're shooting your guns and you're, you're running around and yeah. they aren't going down and you're like I, I don't know what's wrong. Yeah, so essentially they are unbridled by fury. Uh, they are hefty meat slabs and they're fucking great. <laughs> they are great. They are great. I'll give you that one. They just, they, they, and I think what is described about in the player's handbook, it says that a true barbarian is rare. And I think this is the thing that most people sort of forget about. It's like, oh, well, you know, in the Forgotten Realms, or, or, you know, what is the difference between an adventurer and a minor character? And adventurers have that little bit of an edge. You know, they're a little bit tougher. They're a little bit, you know, have a bit of skill. Barbarians themselves as a class is actually quite rare. Mm. And I think you'd only, if you were playing one, it talks about them being like the protectors of their people or the leaders of their clan. 
because they have been in wars. They they go into fight to protect others, not themselves. I mean, they enjoy the fight absolutely, but it is they do it because they feel this sort of loyalty, and that's what really got me is like the idea of someone fights out of loyalty and is driven by that emotion. And so I just thought all of that was just a really cool, different way of thinking about a character that doesn't necessarily fight for money and doesn't necessarily fight for uh, honor per se. It is more about out of loyalty and out of protecting others. And I just thought that's such a cool character concept. Yeah. It's just masked slightly by the fact that they are pretty bloodthirsty. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, I fight to protect people, but I also scream a lot. Yes. The one thing I really liked is that right at the end of this sort of like describing what barbarians are, you know, to give this sort of concept, it talks yeah. about the reason why they go adventuring, you know, they you might be exiled from clans or they might be, you know, decide that they have to go and do something to protect their people. Mm. But it says some barbarians miss sort of the close-knit structures of their families and stuff, but eventually find themselves with new families within their adventuring party. And again, that idea of loyalty is that they are always willing to make new friends and it's very rare i think you'd get a loner barbarian because they wouldn't survive they need to protect something and i guess maybe that's when they turn evil or anything like that they, they would fight by themselves to protect themselves but the idea that they join a venturing party is like well you should go home you know what do you mean i am home like just this very stubbornness sort of like yeah. well my family you need yeah. help. I'm here to help you. And that's that's what I like about it. Is it's, you can make it anything you want, but I just like that sort of version of it that is out of loyalty and they're always going to find a home wherever they go. Which I think is quite an interesting concept, especially because it's quite I think it's quite natural in D&D to have eventually, you know, the adventuring party becomes the family of the adventurers. Obviously, you know, they're all going to have their um, their actual blood family somewhere, unless you're going super tragic with your backstory. <laughs> you know, that, that adventuring party does become the family. And mm. I think it's quite an interesting idea that maybe, you know, the barbarian, the screamy, bloodthirsty, probably, let's be honest, and not the greatest wisdom, intelligence, or charisma class, mm. <laughs> will you know, always be focused on the family. They'll be the one, I think, that would embrace the idea of the adventuring party being the family before anyone else. Absolutely. Nice. Yeah, and I think, like I said, you always think of barbarians stereotypically as, oh, they're always ready to fight. They're always the ones that disrupt the negotiations and stuff, and I think that's not true. I think most barbarians are ready to fight and whereas other times it's like oh you've insulted our honor or you're gonna hurt us well i fight for that i don't think it's that at all they know when to say stuff but they know when to be intimidating and you know if, if something's not going their way they're willing to stand up even yeah. if even if it's uncomfortable for the rest of the party but i think when you play a barbarian that's still something to think of there you could go down the I am completely cross all the time and uh, no one understands my feelings but that's so one note yeah that's it gets very sort of hogging the spotlight in a way because you're always like, oh God, what's the barbarian going to do next? Oh, we're going to clear up after them. <clears throat> Whereas the barbarian, as we sort of said, it fights out of loyalty and stuff. It's something that should, in one part, help 
the sort of party stick together whilst being aggressive and it sort of balances it out as sort of a weird sort of thing that you've got the aggressive but super lovable caregiving person and then the person that can talk or is diplomatic one there's someone else who's just super nice uh the other sort of cunning people you know all that sort of thing and i just think it's such a the aggressive caregiver is what i would call the barbarian class (laughs) yeah it's like it's like your mother hen that will break someone's face Absolutely. And unapologetically so as well. Yeah. Although I have a question for you then. (gasps) Oh, God. Okay. Given the last time that we spoke, uh, when we were talking specifically about paladins, I made the point that I would hold it the biggest cardinal sin to have a paladin that isn't, at least on the order, part of the alignment. Mm -hmm. Barbarians. Yes. Where would you place them? I think by their sort of nature, they are going to be somewhere chaotic for sure. I think a true barbarian would be chaotic neutral. Um, so that, you know, they it's up to the whims of what they of what they want and they can be influenced by falling in with the wrong crowd perhaps it wouldn't mm. surprise me that you'd have you'd maybe recruit a couple of barbarians to uh, be thieves guild like guards or, or anything like that or, or i don't know fantasy nightclub bouncers <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, I definitely for me chaotic because that's the thing right because once once they go into the rage which we'll come to that you know when that driven that by emotion it's very chaotic to the point where it's described in some of the primal passes it's uncontrollable yeah and you get a different source for where it is so i definitely think on the chaotic part but i think i would say most barbarians i think you'd come into play with if they're not going to be chaotic good like i know i i went for chaotic good for sort of my character just because i knew it was a good campaign ultimately we want the good people to win and stuff like that whereas neutral means that you can choose it up to yourself because i think there's it gets to a point where you go actually this is too much for me as a barbarian because i'm sure like they might want to split off and and make other you know if they've not been uh isolated from their from their people or anything like that they might want to go back and maybe have to make the choice between the good of everyone and the good of their people as mm. well so i think yeah chaotic on that scale but anywhere in between the other yeah. scale oh i i agree let's say they're definitely more of a um chaotic mm-hmm. class which is interesting especially considering some of their paths which mm. I think it's a great time to start talking about those. Sounds good. Well, let's have a look. So, the Barbarian Paths, we've obviously got, what is it, seven of them in total? Seven in total. Yeah, Yeah. which actually feels like quite small compared to other classes. And actually only recently did the two uh, playtest ones. So there is the the Wild Soul one that's coming out in Tasha's yep. Cauldron of Everything. Yes. And then the other one, she says, quit having a quick look. Uh, Business. Yes, Beast, which came out this year as Unearthed yeah. Arcana, yeah. Um, which is uh, it's interesting. But on the whole, looking at all the paths in general, it talks about like, so when, so I've, we actually haven't really mentioned it. We keep talking about this word rage, rage. but actually okay, rage. Yeah. What is rage? Rage. Basically, at level one, for a bonus action, you can activate your superpower, which is raging. And basically, you're just really, really cross fast fighting <laughs> that's, that's the best way to describe it um as a result you get advantage on strength checks and saving throws when you make an attack with a melee weapon so if you're in close combat uh you gain uh, a bonus to damage using your strength so obviously the stronger yeah. you are the harder you hit which makes sense and the most important 
important thing that I have come to learn in all of my D&D is that from level one, when every time you activate rage, you are resistant to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage. Mm. Right from level one. And that's incredible. Instantly... Incredible. Your hit points are effectively doubled as a result. So if you have got very high constitution and you hit hard and you activate your rage at the beginning of battle, it's going to take twice as long to uh, put your character in minor peril. Now, obviously, David, I did die really early on. I was about to bring that up. Early levels, considering Barbarian's whole thing of, you know, I rage, most of the damage, let's be honest, most of the damage you're going to take in your early levels is going to be non-magical slashing, bludgeoning, and piercing, isn't it? Exactly, yeah. Yes. Meaning that, you know, we all know this thing of the first five levels are probably where your character is most likely to die, given that an errant critical is going to knock you on your ass. Yes. However, with that in mind, the Barbarian, perhaps, is the most durable and survivable for those first five levels, wouldn't you say, Fiona? Yes. Wouldn't you say it's very difficult as a Barbarian to (laughs) die in those first five levels? Yes, but I am an exception to the rules, as always. You are the exception to the rule of the universe, and I love it. Like you said, it's very rare, I think, for barbarians to die early on levels. I think it is a mixture of, if you are going to die, it is very poor roles. You know, uh, your other teammates... Bad situations. Bad situations. Like, for for me, for example, again, I've not really spoken about it on this podcast, but the first time my character did die, I was in the jaws of a giant crocodile underwater, and... My other two was chewing. It was chewing. And unfortunately, my other obviously yourself, you were wearing heavy armor, so you're desperately trying to swim down and you're like, oh god, (laughs) drowning at the bottom of the pool. And Sam, bless him, as playing blue, the bard, was like, I will entice out this creature with a sexy crocodile. (laughs) And you're like, great. (laughs) A few things that I really loved. One was the sexy crocodile, and the other one was to make some more food as an illusion. And our DM very rightly pointed out that if you're in the middle of eating dinner and more dinner just appears, you're going to finish the dinner that you do have and then move on to the new food. It was one of those things where we, like, I had already accepted my fate because there was like no way I could get out of it. But as we've we've talked about many times, it has put us on a path in in our game, certainly for your character. Oh God, yeah, it completely changed how my character did everything from that point. I had a a plan of what I was going to do with my multi-classing and how that was going to work. And that went out of the window. I'm glad I helped. Yeah. (laughs) I think just to sort of finish that off though with the rage, like, so a rage lasts for a minute. Uh, so it's 10 it's rounds in, time in D&D. It's, it's certainly very long in the early stages. I've yet to lose a rage whilst playing yeah. uh, in combat, whether yeah. I've been, I've either ended it early or I've been knocked unconscious. Those are yeah. the only times I've had, I've never gone through the whole 10 rounds and then had to reactivate it. So basically, yeah, you have your rage that lasts for a minute. Mm-hmm. It will end early if you're knocked unconscious or if your turn ends and you haven't attacked a hostile creature and you take no damage the next turn, uh, which is very useful because you could just run into the battle and go, oh, I wait. And usually you're a big target, so people do hit you and your rage keeps going. Yeah. And you can have this rage ability for a number, uh, number of times per your level in Barbarian, which can get up to, I think it's the max you can get is five which is pretty good, and they reset on the long rest as well. So it's about usually 
and we'll come, come on to stage, but we're going into combat. Once you're in there, it's about hitting as many things as you can mm. and getting hit because you can take that damage. And that's really good early levels. When you get up to higher levels, when suddenly you have to think about the environment or you've got flying creatures that <laughs> yeah. fucking go away, you yeah. know, it's, it's an interesting one. And especially the, the thing it talks about, which I didn't realize until we started playing it, is that the extra damage you get from rage only works on a melee attack so you have to be up close to hit them you can't shoot yeah. you can't use arrows you can't use javelins or anything like that angrily fire an arrow yeah it's just throwing a javelin and it just it just hits the ground you're like well i knew it there's that great arrow. thing there's that great thing we had recently where i think you guys were like just just hit it with a javelin and i missed and then our dm was like you don't know even why you did that and i was like i know why did i do that yeah. stupid peer pressure <laughs> it was like you were you were running towards something and you weren't going to reach it under any circumstances and you were just going to end the turn without doing anything and Sam and I are just going you have javelins oh yeah oh yeah it doesn't work <laughs> I don't need them I am range objectively that's not true is it I am range <laughs> but then the other things that do come up commonly in barbarians so you have stuff like reckless attack so yeah. later on once you've What's leveled that? up to that I'll tell you it uh, on your turn before you do your first uh, attack you can decide whether or not you're going to recklessly attack all your attacks and what that means is that all attack rolls that you do for that turn are made at advantage because you're just like rushing in like you are chaos mm. unfortunately that means you're leaving yourself open to attacks as well so any attack rolls against you whether it's ranged or melee um yeah. have advantage as well so it is a give and take sort of thing ideally you know you get advantage so that you're more likely to make a critical but at mm. the same time they have more chance to get criticals on you and give you more damage as a result it's one of my favorite i mean i think i recklessly attack every single time because it's just, odd when you don't when i don't it is just to double check what's going on and i go oh I know. <laughs> Next yeah, time, you do, you do your attack. safety tap with the axe to test the defense. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, okay, yeah. But other things they have as well, uh, you've got the extra attack at level five. That's pretty yeah. early on, so you can just attack twice. Extra movement, uh, feral instinct, which means advantages on uh, initiative rolls, which is great because that means you, you're really ready for battle. The new one that I'm starting to get to grips with is something called brutal critical, where basically means every time I, I roll a crit, I have an extra weapon die on top of that. So that and that increases further up the levels. So when I yeah. remember to use that, that's quite a few. Um, yeah. Uh, D12s essentially because I use a great axe. The D12s one, are satisfying. To oh, they are so good, and I think that's one of the reasons I did pick this class uh, when I started out. Is that it's the only class that uses D12s for hit die, mm. and there, there is something satisfying seeing double digits on a on a hit die, and then yeah. then you roll a one at the end. You're like, God damn it, what a waste. But the interesting one I have, so you have these rages and they, you know, they power you through and stuff. There's stuff called like relentless rage, which I've just got myself for this character, where if I drop to zero hit points and I don't die outright, I can make a constitution saving throw, which barbarians are very good in, and I can drop to one hit point instead if I pass it, and the DC is 10. Right. Now, during a battle, the DC goes up every time I use it, so it'll go to 15, 20, 25, etc. until it doesn't work anymore. But then if I have a long rest, long rest or short rest it resets so 
again, I could just keep powering through, <laughs> just dropping ever so slightly. Your rage is so fierce, uh, this persistent rage is so fierce, it only ends early if you fall unconscious or you choose to end it. So even if you don't take any damage or if you don't attack anyone, you keep that rage going. And then the, the sort of the final one, uh, which I really, really love, uh, is Primal Champion, where the line is, uh, embodies the power of the wilds. Uh, your con and strength increase by four to a max of 24. That's insane. Yeah. And obviously, uh, again, if you've been doing your ability score improvements, then obviously you could have a really powerfully yeah. strong character and a really, you know, fit, sort of healthy, not healthy, but a really, what's the word? Like just, just load of hit points, essentially, at the top of that. And you're, you know, you have, your rage just keeps going. It's so it's, it is quite a, a visceral sight, you know, just mm. seeing this someone who doesn't go down, who still hits hard, even when they're on one hit point. And I just thought that image, I was like, <sighs> it's something special, isn't it? Uh, like you're literally too angry to stop. <laughs> too angry to die, literally. Yeah. <laughs> Although that interestingly um, brings us on to the primal paths. Yes. And if you don't mind, I'd like us to start with one in particular, my personal favourite. Okay, which one? Path of the Zealot. Ooh, the one right at the bottom of the list, because it's alphabetical. Exactly. So go on, tell, yeah. why, don't you, why don't you tell us about the Zealot then? The Zealot is kind of like if a barbarian and a paladin had a baby, <laughs> but, you know, the baby only then lived with the barbarian. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's weird in the sense that, you know... You know, we've got paladins that are very ordered, you know, their gods are giving them powers or, you know, they're getting powers from their oath. Whereas Path of the Zealot lives by a very simple mantra, I am too angry to die. Yes. <laughs> Which is just sensational. And I personally, I think if we're going to discuss the idea of a barbarian benefits of role-playing class... Mm -hmm. I think the Path of the Zealot is probably one of the most interesting ones. Mm, definitely. Because, you know, it's taking us away from the, what, you know, from the outside probably looks like quite a simple I rage, I hit things class, and more in a sense of, oh, you now have divine fire or necrotic energy yes. channeling through your weapon. From the description of it, it says that some deities inspire their followers to pitch themselves into ferocious battle fury. And this the zealot warriors, essentially. Mm. Um, then it talks about the gods being, you know, they are mostly gods of combat, destruction <clears throat> and violence. And whilst they are not all evil, very few of them are good. So it goes mm. back to what we were talking about before. It's like, where would we see it on the scale? And I think yeah. these ones is where you do pitch your sort of, you plant your flag saying, yes, actually, I'm going to play uh, a, 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 a more neutral or maybe even slightly evil character here. Because, mm. again, it, it, it is talking about that you either fight for the side of the good or you fight for the side of, of evil. And the, one of the first things that comes up, which I'm sure took your eye, was Divine Fury. So on your weapon strikes, the first creature you hit on each turn takes extra damage equal to uh, 1d6 half your barbarian level. Uh, and that's either radiant damage or necrotic damage. So you can have that proper sort of flavor there and uh, you have to pick that when you get that. You can't switch between them because otherwise that would be chaotic. <laughs> Just... That would be too chaotic. There's a cool role-playing thing uh, called the Warrior of the Gods, where your soul is marked for 
that endless battle, which is such a cool phrase. That's so metal. It's it well, and this this is the thing with all the barbarian paths. You just look at them and you go, "This is really this is so metal." You could see this happening on yeah. stage at a concert or anything yeah. like that. But basically, this means that any spell such as like raise the dead or or even probably uh, resurrection, I would say, or true resurrection or anything like that, that has the sole purpose of restoring you specifically to life, the caster does not need any material components. And this is the thing, if you, I appreciate that, this might not sound like really big to anyone who doesn't play D&D a lot, or you just, your campaigns are maybe a little lower level, or stuff like that, but we've been in several scenarios where our characters have died and we brought yeah. them back. And it is a very expensive business. Not, <laughs> it is not cheap. I mean, like true resurrection cost is it like ten thousand or something? a lot of yeah, a lot of gold yeah. or uh, the material components. Like so, for example, this spoiler: the second time I died, uh, thank uh, thankfully in quotation marks. But compared to yeah. the first time, where the characters didn't have to suddenly make a pact yeah. with a, a random fey wild god that changed the yeah. whole campaign. Yeah, <laughs> they were in a city with a temple, and there are people that can help with that sort of thing. But again, the cost is it so significant. Spin. Yeah, it was uh, it was a real into the wallet but then you've got with the path of the zealot you've got fanatical focus if you fail a saving throw for whatever reason whilst you're raging you just re-roll it and use new roll that's once per rage so this is the thing you could end your rage and restart it and keep going like yeah. you know because you have up to i think like i said i think you have up to five and it's such a wasteful thing but if you've got you need to make those saving throws you can do it you've got zealous presence where, you know, for a bonus action, you unleash a battle cry infused with divine energy and up to 10 creatures of your choice have advantage on attack rolls and saving throws to the start of your next turn. And that's once per long rest. So that's an incredible, like, if you're starting off the fight, just screaming and then all your all your allies then have advantage on their first turn. Mm. Um, I mean, can you imagine if that was linked to, uh, if you sort of had a multi-class of a paladin and a path of the zealot barbarian, because mm. then you would have all the benefits to saving throws that paladins give their team. Mm. And then it's also an advantage. Yeah, it's insane. absolutely insane. And then the final one, which I do think is like the most metal thing I've ever read, the rage beyond death feature, yeah. where essentially divine power fuels your rage and allows you to shrug off fatal blows. So, you know, having zero hit points does not knock you down unconscious you still no. make you still make death saving throws and suffer normal consequences of taking damage whilst you would be however you if you were going to die due to failing death you don't die until your rage ends and then when the rage ends you only die if you have zero hit points so having that combined with like the previous ones of relentless rage and all this sort of yeah. thing you could still power through for another couple of rounds of combat and then bonus action, swig a healing potion, and I've defeated death once more. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we should petition uh, all the lovely people at D&D to just rename that literally too angry to die. <laughs> Unofficial, too yeah. angry to die. Because yeah. it's that's amazing and ridiculous in every sense of the word. It feels very Thor, you know, at the end of Ragnarok, when they're just he's just powering down, you know, he's lost an yeah. eye. It, it just that vision of it is what I what I see every time I read Path of the Zealot. I just it is just so cool yeah, as a it's concept. Such an interesting concept. <laughs> Now, let's take it to something a little bit more basic. Um, what we think of, you know, well, when you first imagine a barbarian, the first thing that comes into your mind, what would you say is the archetype, the first thing that you picture in your head when you hear barbarian? 
So I, I, I'm assuming you are referring to Berserker. Indeed I am. <laughs> so in the player's handbook, you have two paths to choose from when, it was, when this was starting off in early 2014. You have mm. the path of the Berserker and the Totem Warrior one, which we'll come into in a second. So Berserker is essentially a rage is a means to an end, and that end is violence. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? Whoever writes the Barbarian is doing a great job because they are nailing the wording. I think this is the most, not even obvious, but I think the most traditional Barbarian we usually see is this kind of Barbarian and stuff. This, for example, this is Grog's build from Critical Role. Yeah. Um, you are just fury incarnate. Like, you thrill yourself in the chaos of battle, regardless of your own health and well-being, and probably to the ones of the people around you as well, yeah. to an extent. I'd say the, the unique thing about Berserkers is the frenzy. So when you go into a rage, you can choose to make it a frenzied rage. And for the duration of that, uh, you can make a single melee attack weapon as a bonus action on each turns after that, after you started your rage. And then once your rage ends, to compensate for that, you have one level of exhaustion. Mm. So bear in mind that you get this, you, you choose your path at level three. So you could choose to go into a frenzied rage and have technically two attacks before you get your additional attack at level five. Yeah. So, so instantly your damage output is going up quite significantly. And yeah, and then at the end of a fight, you have one level of exha exhaustion. That's fine. That's just um, disadvantage on ability checks. You've got the other party to do that for you. You're just here to fight, you know? <laughs> True, yeah. But that's the thing. I feel that Berserker, especially mm. this frenzied rage, I think it takes more than it gives. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I of all of all the paths, very clear about this. Zealot's my favorite. If I was going to play a barbarian, I would absolutely play a zealot or maybe one of the other ones, which we'll get to later. <laughs> but I would avoid Berserker. Why is that? Would you say? It's that whole frenzied rage taking the point of exhaustion. Because mm. sometimes, as we've learned in our campaign. You can't exactly get a long rest when you want to. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and that's true. So it seems you are getting a lot, yeah, because uh, eventually it's, what, three attacks in a turn, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, I know that the Barbarian, for a lot of instances, maybe doesn't make the most use of the bonus action. But yeah, true. in the times where you can make use of it, like, for instance, let's say that you taken great weapon master because why wouldn't you as a barbarian why wouldn't the you best feat you can have that would tough the question then becomes is it worth not only sacrificing your bonus action for a second attack that you might be able to get anyway mm -hmm. or yeah is that worth sacrificing that and then you get this exhaustion penalty mm. it's true i think certainly with berserker it is definitely made for how much damage can i deal out with, you know, in in a round quickly yeah. and to the point. So, because this is, if you imagine pairing this up with the brutal critical right at the end, so you get a crit and up to like extra free weapon die on top of that, and then yeah. you get another attack, and then there's also right at the end you've got retaliation. So that is when you take damage from a creature within five feet of you, you can use your reaction, which is one yeah. a turn, to make another attack against them. So you are just dealing out damage, damage, damage constantly, and presumably hoping that your your friend will pick you up if you. Fall 
fall down. Like this is a purely a a damage dealing class, and also it's uh this it has other things as well, like mindless rage. So you can't be charmed or frightened if you go into a rage, which is super useful if you're fighting against a creature, say like a dragon, or or anything like that that has a a frightful presence. Yeah. Also you're too got, angry for fear. You, you're like I've stared death in the face, and this is not where I die, etc. Yeah. There's the other one I find interesting called intimidating presence, and I'll be interested to see what you think of this one. So you can use an action yourself to frighten someone by doing something that you know like telling people to go away or, or something like that so it's an action but mm. also it very much depends on intimidation itself it's the modifier for it is actually based in charisma and i know in critical role they change that rule slightly so that intimidation or any intimidation checks or anything is based more on strength rather than charisma because in the the quick build certainly for barbarians it says oh put your your highest value uh, dice rolls in strength and constitution yeah that makes sense yeah but then sometimes that means that your charisma which is used for scaring things everything like that mm. is probably not as high as you want it to be i always thought that was interesting that you would you using something intimidating person is a charisma type thing well we would see it as something like oh well, i'm trying to persuade them rather than like a, a show of strength or i don't know yeah. maybe it's a different skill altogether it's a fair point i've always understood charisma as kind of not exactly like how persuasive you are i mean Mm -hmm. yes i know that's a huge uh part of it Mm -hmm. but all the charisma stat itself to be the strength of your personality because it's Mm -hmm. i think we have this misconception that high charisma characters are like really attractive Mm -hmm. and low charisma characters are hideously ugly i would say it's more like the difference between life of the party and wallflower oh interesting yeah. Okay. Mm. But you make a very good point. That's that's off topic. You make a very good point about charisma, especially with intimidation, because yeah, as a barbarian, you've got three stats that you're going to prioritize and mm. three that you're just going to ignore. Like yeah. you want strength to be 20 as soon as you can get it. Mm. Then given the amount of punishment you're going to take as de facto party <laughs> tank, you want constitution to be as high as you can get. And then hey, you may as well just slap some in dexterity. Yeah. You know, throw that initiative higher or maybe just start taking some feats that are going to be good. But mm-hmm. those three are going to be your priority. Mm-hmm. It seems to me a little counterproductive mm. to have a stat for a single ability for one part of one path that just takes away from that. Mm, definitely. I mean, maybe it's just the uh, role-playing aspect of it. But I guess if you think about it with, say, Warlock, for example, so I, I can actually imagine, because obviously that's their um, spell modifier is uh, using charisma. So yeah. that analogy you have of like Life of the Party or, or the Wallflower thing, I think that's quite interesting because I'd be like, well, yeah, I guess like, Warlocks can be like that. But then if you think of like wizards or, or sorcerers, they are more sort of, uh, is it both? Both of them are intelligence-based or is, is, um, or is wizards, c- intelligence, sorcerers, charisma. Oh, it's charisma. There you go. So so it's like, so I, yeah, it's, I don't know if that, I, I, I like that analogy, but I don't know if it, because I always assume charisma is just embodied in spell casting classes because yeah. it is it is about yeah like you said the sort of performance of it i guess in a way or, or no or being confident enough with it yeah so yeah so seeing it pop up here is i found it is interesting and like you said it takes away from i guess because we like you, you kind of nicely put in the stats so you got the three stats which are sort of to do with body so you've got your strength dexterity and constitution and then you've got yeah. the three other stats which are sort of more psychological uh, mental sort of way so you've got your charisma uh 
I was going to say uniqueness, nerve, and talent, which is uh, <laughs> RuPaul's Drag Race, but we yeah. won't do that. Yeah, that, that is, that's a completely different one, although RuPaul's D&D would be very interesting. Yeah, so this is very stereotypical, I must kill, and the, the most points, etc. That's what the berserker is, essentially. It is yeah. definitely someone who who loves to rage and loves giving out, dishing out all the damage and stuff in battle and isn't too fussed about themselves, essentially. And we talked a lot about barbarians sort of uh, existing in tribes. Uh, you spoke a lot about them being uh, very sort of prominent figures in tribes yeah. and so on. And that leads us quite sort of naturally onto the other path that's included in the player's handbook. Yes. Tell us a bit about that one. So I will say this now is like, I feel like this sort of path in general, so it's called the path of the totem warrior. Yeah. And clearly it takes a lot of inspiration from sort of Native American and any sort of uh, culture that involves spirit animals because it yeah. talks about you know you take on a spiritual journey and you accept one of these sort of spectral sort of animals or the sort of the the embodiment of uh, this thing as your guide and protector and inspiration there i have certain things about that being like oh it's not really something to do but i think as long as you flavor it in a way that's sensible and not making it a oh it's a mysterious thing oh and you know like maybe do a little read bit of research for this one that's why i don't i feel a lot of people like prefer going for the straight damage one rather than the spiritual aspects of uh, barbarians anyway from what i've yeah. seen on streams there is something about saying like "Ooh, spirit animals oh well you know and you, you hear like valley girls going oh well that's my spirit animal and you're like oh they, it is something that is a lot more it is something that's sort of like a connection between you and the beyond essentially that's what i like to see it as and it manifests itself as these sort of different uh wild animals essentially so I prefer to say it like that rather than like, it's a spirit animal. But essentially it is that you, it's, it's an interesting thing, I guess, because we don't necessarily see barbarians as being in tune with the natural world, but here they are. They sort of gain the ability to cast beast sense and speak with animals. So you can you know, communicate with animals to a certain, like, certain degree and have that affinity, I guess, with, with whatever uh, totem you choose. There is five different animals that you can be akin to. You've got bear, eagle, elk, tiger, and wolf. I just feel like it's like, oh, quick, put tiger in there. <laughs> like, which it just, it just feels like. It does seem a little uh, tacked on, doesn't it? It does, it does rather. I feel like, because I, so each of them have different sort of elements to them. So bear is more like resistance to all types of damage. Which you, is insane. And that's, again, that's at level three as well. That's insane. The weakness of barbarians, isn't it? If you want to take a barbarian down, hit them with spells. Yeah. And you get resistance to all damage except psychic damage, which very rarely does do you have those sort of spells unless they're a little bit higher up. You know, if it's a, like a mind flare or, or like any sort of things to do with warping the, the mind. So that, that's really interesting. Another thing with bears is that your carrying capacity is doubled and you have ex advantage on, on pushing, pulling, lifting, breaking objects, which I know may not seem like, oh, important in battle. But if you're trying to get out of a room and you're trying to carry treasure and you're trying to break all the things, I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, in Star Wars and the trash compactors coming towards you, you want the barbarian on the wall. And then there's like the final one of the bear, totemic attunement, I think that's how you pronounce it, but any creature within five feet of you uh, has disadvantage on attack rolls against any other targets except yourself or another character that has 
this feat. Mm. Uh, obviously, they're immune to this if they can't see or hear you or if they can't be frightened. But that idea that they have to be fixated on you. So again, you've got that resistance to every damage. You're a beefy bear. You can carry stuff. But then if they try to attack anyone else when you're like really close to them, that, that's disadvantage because you're like the biggest threat is right in front of you. So you have a sort of towering, uh, aggressive, even like bear, like it does talk about like you could take on aspects of bestial form in a way. So like you are thicker skinned, you may be a bit more hairy if you take a bear, your your eyes are better as an eagle, all that sort of thing. So yeah. looking at all of them, yes. I do like uh the Path of the Totem Warrior, but looking at all of them, I think nine times out of ten, despite you know, some of the things quite good, like Tiger gives you some extra proficiencies mm-hmm. at one point. You know, there's loads of reasons to pick the other ones, but for the life of me, nine times out of ten, I know it. I would always pick bear and just I think go because so. it takes you from de facto party tank to you're the thing that holds the line. You are the line. You are literally Hodor, essentially. Yeah. yeah. I feel like the other ones are quite cool. Like Eagle's pretty cool. That other creatures have disadvantage on opportunity attacks against you because and you can use a dash action as a bonus action. Yeah. Uh, you could see up to one mile away with no difficulty. Imagine. <laughs> What? So that's pretty cool. And then what's the other one for eagles? Oh, you could have a flying speed equal to your walking speed, but then in brackets it says, but only a short burst. You can't just constantly fly. You have to oh like, that would be, again, I think I think eagle is overlooked, I think, as a result of that. Because I feel like it's not, with the bear one, it's very like, here is the physicalness. And you're like, yes, barbarians, that makes sense. But I think eagle and elk to an extent as well, because elk is about speed and you can, so you can walk a bit faster, you can travel paces doubled and everyone in your party is doubled as well. And you can knock people prone and give them bludgeoning damage because you're just so bloody hulking. Um, I think those two are pretty good. Completely agree. It's quite an interesting one but Mm. i've got to say for me as much as i enjoy the totem warrior and i'm not going to slate it as much as i slate berserker for me (laughs) it's a bit samey yes it's kind of you know you pick what you're doing if berserker is just i'm pumping out the damage although it has its aspects totem warrior just doesn't feel like it plays around with some of the more interesting aspects of the class be it both in terms of mechanics and role playability yeah again i have the feeling that they wrote it assuming that people would buy into the stereotypes of you need to do some role playing about the like spirit animals etc and i and i think more people nowadays are moving away from that it'll be really interesting to see actually because obviously with the whole overhaul of wizards just now about them like i don't know if you know so they're reissuing curse of strad just now a mixture because it's halloween but also they're rewriting certain elements in it that aren't appropriate anymore or, or culturally insensitive and i wonder if this is going to happen for the totem warrior because i feel like there is still like that sort of um stigma about just appropriating uh spirit animals in general so i wonder if they'll change the, the wording of it slightly in future things and maybe then as a result more people will use it and the other thing i will say sorry for flavor wise you yeah. don't have to necessarily say oh it's a wolf i see a wolf all the time it doesn't have to be that as, as your totem warrior piece you could describe it to be a fox but it takes on the aspects of the wolf etc so you could pick one and then describe it to be completely different animals it's a bit like a patronus which i think would be a better way of describing uh spirit damage was in general yeah so. i agree moving on to one of the other ones yes now i happen to know and i've got so much love for this this path but yes. my love for it pales 
in comparison to yours. <laughs> yes. You've been playing it for two years now. Yes. But Fiona. Yes. I would very much like you to tell me about probably one of the regards, one of the more interesting ones in the sense of how diverse it is, how unique it is, the sort of role playability of it as well. Tell me about the path of the Storm Herald. Oh, I'm so glad you asked, David. <laughs> so, so Storm Herald is one of the paths that came in with Xanapar's Guide to Everything. Best and it is, I mean, the book itself. I, oh my God, Swashbuckler, Storm Herald, Hexblade. Basically improves upon, or, you know, it adds so much to the yeah. player's handbook. I, like, I think both of you, I will probably agree, like if there's any book you want to add to the player's handbook, it definitely would be Xanapar's. And presumably well, with Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, that's going to build upon that as well when that comes mm. out. But so Storm Herald. So we've talked about barbarians being like full of uh, bloody rage and giving out all the damage. We've talked about a bit more spirituality type ones with totem warrior, etc., and and zealot to an extent. We've talked about the sort of religion side of it. David, what's more angry than a storm? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there you go. There you go. Yeah, the true Thor class essentially. There are no words. Yeah, if you want to play Thor. Storm Herald. It is literally Storm Herald. So their rage grants them superior strength, durability, and speed, but they learn to transform that rage into a mantle of primal magic that swirls about them. So instantly you look cool. Yeah. But you tapping to the force of nature to create these magical, powerful effects. And it's just again, there's again, there's the image of people flying through storms, like being surrounded by the storm. And it's just it, that emotion, it really connects. Yeah on such a visual level, and I just love it for that. But interestingly, there was a line in it that I must have missed when I first read it. It goes, typically elite champions who are Storm Heralds train alongside druids and rangers and others who have sworn to protect nature. I don't see it as a protecting nature at all thing. I see this, the Storm Herald, as a, you are using the storm in a sense, but like these, these sort of, the different elements and they're coming together to create this, this tension. You know, you feel it as well in the, in the air. Like we had it in the summer mm. when it was so hot, you knew a storm was coming you could feel it in the air you know like it's gonna break anytime soon so using that that sort of feeling and then just exploding in a rage is oh it's the best feeling in the world <laughs> so why yes. is it that you chose path of the storm herald so interestingly enough when storm herald came out uh, about three years ago now i think a lot of streams started using Storm Herald Barbarians, and they've done it in very different ways. So again, I'm sure loads of people have listened to this sort of critical role. In the latest season, Ashley Johnson of Last of Us fame, she plays a Barbarian, Storm Herald, Asima Barbarian, Storm Herald. And then on another show, there's a, another player who plays a Storm Herald Barbarian, like a Wild Elf Storm, Storm Herald, and they played them so differently. In critical role, it is very sort of like, very stormy, moody teenager at times like yeah. oh i look out to the storm hmm i must go and that unsureness and that having this sort of the rage bubble between it and then on the high rollers one um the character there is just rude and abrasive and and it's just like why aren't we doing these things this is just terrible i hate this and so it is a real balance between the two to see these different characters and i thought what would be great is that if we could have a character in the middle but slightly more uh slightly more maybe not persuasive but willing to listen to other people is also moody but a more well-rounded character and i think even then i was like storm herald sounds still cool i'm still gonna use storm herald <laughs> 
I was going to say, willing to listen to other people. Are we still talking about your barbarian? Yes, I do. I listen. I do listen. You just not to, listen. not to all of the words, but I listen to some of them. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. You've got three aspects, don't you? Which is quite interesting. We've got the desert, we've got the sea, and we've got the tundra. Yes. And I, I, I will say this now, David. I only just realised that tundra meant ice. Uh, what did you think it meant? I, I generally thought it was a different type of desert. <laughs> that silence is me rolling my eyes. Yes, unfortunately so. So, as, as David has said, there are sort of three different sort of environment choices that you can have when you're choosing what kind of storm herald you want to be. So the desert one is all about flame and fire and stuff, and that's mm. pretty cool, actually, because, like, you know, when you activate your rage, you have this aura that goes around you within 10 feet, and when you have the desert storm aura, things take fire damage every time they're in it and every time you activate it, which increases over time. The tundra one is different. It's a bit more protective, which I find was really interesting. When you activate it, each creature of your choice gains two temporary hit points as the sort of ice sort of surrounds them and encases them against any attacks and stuff like that. And that too increases over time. And then finally, the one that everyone takes, I've got to be honest, it's not unique in any sense, but I love it, is um, the sea storm aura, where basically you choose a target within your 10 feet aura. They make a dexterity saving throw or take 1d6 lightning damage. And that increases as it goes up as well. And I feel like this is this is my gripe with this sort of storm herald. It develops over several levels. So you get up to, I think it's at least 4d6 or 5d6 in terms of lightning damage yeah. when you get to level 20. And the same with sort of fire damage and stuff like that. It goes up eventually. But I feel like two points of fire damage early on or two points of temporary hit points is a bit crap i think you either give them a dice roll or you give them five and then it increases by d6 each time you know what i mean yeah yeah I, it does seem a little lackluster because yeah, i know in our campaign you and our dm discussed how you can change that mm. you know, how you can make it a little bit more impressive because what essentially amounts to a bog standard simplest level fireball is a level 20 thing. Uh, I mean, level 20 is demigod level. And considering yeah. the other stuff that uh, certain other classes can do, like, well, I mean, what is it? Uh, rogues just break the fabric of reality, that, <laughs> that, that lucky and insane things. Mm. It feels a little lackluster. I, I think it may be because they're expecting you to do a lot of damage anyway. Mm. But I think certainly with the Tundra one, where you, it's a very more protective yeah. Uh, storm aura type thing. It feels very odd that it's only like, oh, at third it's level. Six hit points at the 20th level. Yeah, it's a bit like, there's no point. There are other spells that can do that, yeah. you know? So it feels like I would put it as either a D6 and then you increase it uh, to maybe um, by dice size. So maybe have it uh, like a 1D6, 1D8, 1D10, 1D12, like yeah. hit points perhaps, which I know is not much, but then it's at least better than, oh, have some six. It's a bit like the joke with like bardic inspiration when they get to high levels. It's, oh, here, here, have some inspiration. Oh no, I've already, I've already hit it. Okay, <laughs> I'm trying to help, you know, and that, that's I'm what I'm helping. I'm helping. That's all great. And then we go on to Storm Soul. So that was Storm's aura. Storm Soul grants benefits when either your aura isn't active, so when you're not being angry all the time. For the desert Storm Soul, you have resistance to fire damage. 
that's pretty damn cool. Uh, cool. And you don't suffer effects of extreme heat. And you have an action to just set a flammable object on fire. So again, very metal. You just sat there really annoyed and you just go, just burn up little bits of like, I don't know, waste paper baskets (laughs) as you're waiting for the next mission. You're the worst thing ever to lantern shops. The Tundra one, you gain cold resistance and don't suffer the effects of extreme cold. And you can touch water and turn it into five feet cubed of ice. Like those two... Whilst they are very specific, those two would have been very handy for us in our campaign. <laughs> yeah. Yes, um, they would. And what's interesting as well, which, uh, again, I didn't speak about, but in Storm Herald stuff, every time you level up, you can change what environment you have as your effect. And I always keep it to the sea just because I, I, yeah. I, I, it fits very thematically. Because Could you imagine I wake up one day and I go, fire. <laughs> It's like, no, that's the whole story. Go on, Fiona. It's like, no, fire. No, 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 fire. And the sea, you get resistance to lightning, which makes sense. But you can breathe underwater and gain a swim seed of 30 feet, which, again, very environment specific, but again, very, very useful. We've got also a shielding storm, which means that creatures in your storm get resistance to your storm's aura and stuff like that. So uh, for us, we would get lightning resistance, but it's very, it is very unlikely we meet anything with lightning resistance now. But maybe next time, if I change it to fire or I change it to ice, that would be helpful. <laughs> Completely derail all of Ryan's plans by changing such a huge way. And, and then, then we've got the last one at level 14, haven't we? I, am, I cannot wait to get this it's gonna oh david it's gonna be so great so raging storm it's called the power of the storm you channel grows mightier and lashes out at your foes so i'm like oh yeah uh, <laughs> so for desert uh, immediately after a creature hits you with an attack you can use your reaction to force that creature to make a deck save and on a fail it takes fire damage equal to half your barbarian level so obviously level 14 that's gonna be seven fire damage straight off um, right. which I'll is not one. bad not bad and obviously that gets up to uh, that gets up to 10 fire damage again it all helps you know you're damaging yeah. it every single turn tundra you choose one creature in your aura and it must succeed on a strength saving throw or its speed is reduced to zero as magical frost covers it that's pretty cool again you it stops people running away but it also stops them running towards you and so that other people can have uh can attack it from range perhaps mm. It depends on the, how high level the encounter is, perhaps. Because, yeah. again, it's all strength saving throws and stuff, or deck saving throws. They may have very good strengths or decks. But, again, it's very useful to have in a fight. But then, oh, oh, the sea raging storm. You use reaction to make a creature make a strength saving throw, and it is knocked prone on a failed save. It's like, right, you're down, Amazing. and now I get to hit you twice. <laughs> Amazing. Oh. Yeah, because you would... You would it's a reaction you can choose when you're going to do it yeah there's no stopping you from just going oh, okay before i make my attacks make a strength save and exactly then that. you don't even need to do a reckless attack or anything like that exactly that it is just yeah i feel like a lot of i mean i know i chose c yeah c as the the sort of storm's aura thing because i'd seen it played so differently with two different ways i'm sure the other two probably i think the ice tundra one it would be actually really cool as well it's definitely a more protective uh one to do like fire is fire like you know you, you set things on fire it's great but i feel like the tundra one is maybe i think that would be a really cool idea to see on screen at some point but i don't know whether i think this, the idea of the sea adding more damage and looking super yeah. cool and metal is the thing that drives people away uh, drives two even so yeah absolutely uh i think that i would make one change okay Storm Harold, if i could what i would say that like 
Path of the Zealot, where you pick your damage type at the mm -hmm. start and you stick with it, mm -hmm. I would have it like that. As in, you've chosen your aspect of nature, kind of, and yeah. that's where you get your power from. Definitely. It, it makes total sense too. As you said, it was just interesting to see that, oh, you could change up, presumably to let people know that, oh, you chose fire? Huh. Well, maybe you ought to change to sea. <laughs> I'm aware that we are actually getting through our time quicker than we uh, I know. Uh, so I think we've probably got time for one more. Okay. And I think we should discuss one which I think has the greatest roleplay ability Ooh. of, you know, I'm going to go with greatest roleplay ability of most subclasses in all of D&D. Ooh, I'm intrigued. Which and, one? you know, it's quite new. It's something that's quite interesting and quite thematic, given that we're so close to Halloween. I, of course, am talking about the Beast. The Beast. The yes. Beast. So the Beast is an unearthed Arcana playtested one, yeah. uh, which came out earlier this year. So David, do you want to give us a little teaser? What is the Beast Primal Path? Beast Primal Path. This one is so different, and that's what first like really excited me about it. If I yeah. wanted to have a Zealot, I would definitely have a Beast Barbarian. Now, Interesting. Barbarians. Barbarians who walk the path of the Beast. They draw their rage from this bestial spark burning within their soul. The beast howls to be released and bursts forth in the throes of rage. Those who tread this path might be inhabited by primal spirit or descended from shapeshifters. Mm. You can choose the origin of your feral might or determine it randomly. Now, I think that's really interesting. Mm. However, I think what a fantastic sort of role play decision would be, have that and even though it would be, mechanically speaking, an absolute pain to do, <laughs> have a character that's struggling to contain lycanthropy. Ooh, interesting. Because, you know, it's the whole thing of you are constantly wrestling with the beast inside, mm -hmm. which is brilliant. I mean, one of the things for the origin of the beast is one of your parents is a lycanthrope, but you've inherited some of the curse. Like, mm. Loads of interesting things like whether or not it's a fae whether or not you're descended from a legendary druid uh, or an ancient animal spirit dwelling within you we're going back to animal spirits again mm -hmm. uh, but it's i just love it i don't know how much you've read into eberron at all if at all but there is a race in there called shifters which mm. is very similar to this whereby somewhere along their sort of uh, ancestry line there is the, the mixture of, sort of the blood and like they could take on the form or slight forms of like wolf or bears or anything like that. So I instantly got ideas of this. So I guess this is their version of putting the a sort of a beast subclass, a shifter subclass into different things if you didn't want to necessarily be that. And it is it is fascinating. It's that sort of thing where, like, I'm, I'm sure you're going to say in detail, but they, like when you are raging, you transform slightly into mm. this beast in a way, but you're not a full lycanthrope. You're not a, a werewolf. You're not a werebear or a were-rat or anything like that. It's like kind of flirting with it, isn't it? There's an aspect of that living inside you. And mm -hmm. that's why I think it's the greatest roleplay class, because you you have this option to, like, you know, what do you do with that? Is it is it this whole thing of, you know, this is something that you welcome? Is this something that you're mm. fighting against? How do you feel about this? As opposed to, say, and I'm just because I keep just laying into it today, as opposed to, say, Berserker that is just more anger on top of my anger, please. 
I mean, that is a very fair point. But what's cool about the beast is that it gives you sort of again three sort of options to transform into. Like when you when you first get it, you have your bite, so you get like a snout or mandibles. Holy shit! Yeah, what mandibles? You've just got mandibles. <laughs> like, how freaky is that going to be? You've been traveling. You're level three, so you've been traveling for a little bit of time. You've kind of just figured the person out, and then they grow mandibles. He says, "Don't look at me! Don't oh, look God. at me!" Oh, <laughs> yes, you have that. You've got claws because you yeah. want to do like a Zoidberg type thing that sounds good <laughs> the thing with that as well when you grow claws oh yeah it's a d6 to to hit with your claws but you means you can attack twice if you use your claw action which again useful at level three and then a tail <laughs> a tail congratulations here's a tail and this tail is it's like no ordinary tail it's like a proper horrific i can only imagine it's just a horrific just tail which is like 10 feet because it's got a reach property mm. and 1d12 damage and you're like, yeah, get those D12s back in, just whip but it around. Like, here's oh. the thing. It's 1D12 piercing damage. I'm just imagining a tail that's essentially a spike. Pretty much. I think yeah. I think that's true. It's, it's not even like you just slap people with it. You pierce. Because instantly I'm like, that's I feel like tail, you're like, yes. But I think the bite is the one that most people would go for because not only is it like a 1d8 of damage, that's that's pretty good. You know, you bite your close combat, fine. Yep. But then you regain hit points equal to your con mod. That's ridiculously helpful. Like, you know, you're like, ah, oh, come here, life force, blah, 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 mandibles, mandibles. That's almost vampiric, isn't it? And then later on, you get bestial soul, mm. which causes your natural weapons to count as magical weapons. And it's like, because you're like, well, who's going to go for this class? Because, you, you know, by the time you hit something that has resistance to bludgeoning and slashing and piercing damage, oh no, this is magic. You know, mandibles come out like <sighs> little, yeah. little glowy things. <laughs> you know, your, your great axe is all lovely and everything, but that's a devil and it's not silvered. Uh, just bite it with your mandibles or whatever, mandible it or whatever they do. Could you imagine like doing that, like uh, the big bad evil like dragon at the end is like, come here, come here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bite your kneecaps. Like, <laughs> yeah, because you're then you know you start getting better at things like climbing, mm -hmm. leap, yeah, your jumps, staying distance. Swimming, breathing underwater. So all, all these things that have appeared in other places. So swimming, obviously, with Storm Herald. Uh, climb speed, but no need to check. And you can go upside down. That is incredibly useful, certainly in, like, obviously, traditional dungeon settings in general, but, like, mm. urban settings where you're running up and down, like, the walls of a town, like, trying to chase someone. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, parkour, I think, is what I call parkour. the jumping ones. Like, parkour! Parkour! parkour. <laughs> I'm so glad that this didn't exist because the idea of you during our Monday sessions yelling parkour every time you jump would drive me to insanity. I don't know. I think I'd still do it. But... Oh, yeah. Parkour. You, you're not going anywhere. Oh, pa parkour. Parkour. No, no, no. That's a bad Aubrey. Parkour. <laughs> parkour. And then we've got what? Infectious Fury. Mm. It's a yep. creature with your natural weapons. You can curse it with a rabid fury. Amazing. Just the ether, they must use its reaction to hit another creature. Mm. I assume it's of your choosing. Oh, yeah, it's another creature of your choice that it can see, mm. which I think is an interesting one because it, because that, I guess, you're, you're like, oh, it needs to hit back on like the leader or something like that. Presumably, yeah. 
I always, but I find this interesting. Quite a lot of these uh, phrasing of it says another creature rather than, a, and then it will say a creature that is hostile to you. So if, in effect, you could get this creature to hit one of your allies. Presumably, if that activates maybe a spell of theirs or an effect of theirs, that they get something. I don't know. It, it, I thought that was an interesting one. Then the other alternative is that they even take that reaction. Or they must take two D twelve psychic damage. I'm like, oh yeah, more D twelves. That sounds like the thing I'd do. That's, that's what this class needs: more D twelves. More D twelves. More D twelves. And finally, we get to call of the hunt. Walk me through this one because this is a big one. It's the idea that you are again spreading this fury throughout your sort of allies. You choose a number of willing creatures that you can see within thirty feet, equal to your con modifier. <laughs> I was like that. It's like rather than a flavorful thing, it's like no, it's up to this much, uh, yeah. and they gain reckless attack as a feature and then they gain on any advantage on uh, on saving clothes being against being frightened you say this to your allies that you have uh, reckless attack now they can choose to accept it or not and uh, for every person that does accept it you gain five temporary hit points and you can use this as many times equal to your con modifier and then you gain regain all those uses on a long rest but my god if you know as you know i use advantage uh, reckless attack all the time imagine if the whole party could do that all the time it's it's kind of it's like loaning your party a class feature it's amazing yeah like you know if if paladins made it so everyone else could have a round of smites or you know if the sorcerer made it so everyone else could just really stealthily cast something or, mm. you know, sharing that super unique thing even if it's just for the one round brilliant and so unique it's not something i've quite encountered before i think it's the only time i've seen you give something to mm. another person like yeah. we've got we've had classes like the bard can there's a certain level where they can take spells off another class and stuff like that and that's yeah. them taking it rather than you giving something and you getting something in return and again yeah. it's five temporary hit points which might not be much but, you know, if you, you've got a high con modifier, if it's like plus five, yeah. and then you've got all five people say, yes, please, and then you go, okay, that's 25. Yeah. You know, it's not to be sniffed at. On top of at all. being a barbarian as well, you're going to have triple, probably triple-digit health as well. It all, yeah. it all adds up, so... That idea of giving something to the party kind of goes back to what we were saying at the very start, where, you know, the barbarian is the type to, you know, like they, they make the adventuring party their family. Mm -hmm. So, which is why I think Path of the Beast is probably, um, in my opinion, going to be one of the quintessential mm. barbarian paths because it very much plays into what you were saying. You know, this is your family. You are giving them your strength and in return, they're strengthening you. Obviously, we've run out of time to go through the Ancestral Guardians and or, yeah. or the Wild Magic one, which I, I think would be fucking hilarious. Uh, the Wild Soul, where essentially, I'll break it down, is that every time you go into a raid, you roll on the Wild Magic table that they provide. And I'll, I'll tell you my favorite line from that one. It's like, appear creatures, a bit like uh, Ancestral Guardians, the creatures appear in your space, which look like flumps. And if you've ever seen a picture of a flump, it is basically like a cotton candy jellyfish. And then they scarper in all directions. And at the end of their turn, they explode. <laughs> like, oh and I was, the vision is incredible. That's I just, amazing. I mean, they've got other sort of, uh, like accounts that you give force damage, you all yeah. do all this way. But I just love the idea I've that you appear, kind of yeah, yeah, flumps, flumps yeah. is my, my 
ideal. That's going to come out in Tasha's Cauldron and Everything. I'm looking forward to having a look at that and going, you know how they say like, oh, what would you do? Like, you know, because you could do like a, a one shot full of bards. I think a one shot full of barbarians and just having a whole lot of stuff come at them. Yeah, and you have to flump. have, yeah, a flump and then just that. <laughs> Brilliant. It, it just strikes me as, you know, flumps going out and then exploding everywhere is just things dying to your fabulousness. Before we completely wrap it up, what are your sort of closing remarks on the barbarians? Basically, do it. Uh, no, I am definitely biased because obviously I've played one for two years. There is definitely something to be said about barbarians is that if you are one of those people who likes to keep things simple and you, you're like, I want to do a decent amount of damage, yeah. I, I don't mind getting hit. I don't mind being the yeah. one that rushes in and stuff like that. Barbarians yeah. are the things for you. And the, I feel like there is more to them than the, the sort of the meat sack, uh, the, the maybe the one that's low intelligence, et cetera. As, you, as we sort of talked about, there's so many different ways you can go for it role-playing wise. Yeah. And I think for me, the most important for that part is that barbarians may seem like horrific bullies at times and maybe like mm. aggressive, but all they want really is a good family and they act out of loyalty and they just want to be loved. Oh, very quickly. Yeah. Uh, my idea, this, yes. this would fully be a comedy, comedy choice. Right. Uh, a barbarian with high intelligence whose thing is nerd rage. Nerd rage. Oh, nerd amazing. Rage. Yeah. So what, how would they go into nerd rage then? They just, they get really confused about the fact that just no one understands what they're trying to explain and they just don't get it and they just don't understand because they've been very, very clear and they, boom. Look, I've just, yeah. I've, I've tried to explain it several times. Okay, right. So Pythagoras' theorem for the last time, I think amazing. that would be amazing. Amazing. The, the biggest waste of stats, but I wouldn't care. Do it. Hey, for a one shot, we'll do it at some point. Well, Fiona, before we finish, is yes. there anything you'd like to plug? What? Oh my god, sure. Um, so I am Fiona, as I've sort of mentioned, I run the What Am I Rolling podcast, which is a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. It's going very well. Uh, Call of Cthulhu has been out. The lovely David has been on it, and yeah. uh, it's it's been great. Uh, I've got a few others coming up. We've got another one with you and I on it. We've got 39 Dark that's going to come out in the near future. That was a lot of fun, that one. That was. So if you've listened to that before, we've done Mars Colony, which is like a, a political sci-fi thriller where I ran the game for David and this time David runs the game for me and uh, other decisions are made and I play myself essentially <laughs> slowly having a breakdown yes but it is a, it is a very good game if you're into your Absolutely. political sci-fi uh, long if you like stuff like gravity or anything like any of those long sci-fi films it's, it's better than Solaris I'll give you that because oh, Solaris is a like, terrible film hated that film it's an awful hated. film it's more exciting than that, but is it yeah. probably as long as Solaris? <laughs> <laughs> Except it's a good time. Uh, what about you, David? Do you have anything you want to plug or any recommendations in general? Any books or TV shows you've been watching? Well, I think the, someone that does need and deserve a good plug and recommendation is our DM and friend Ryan, or mm. as his YouTube channel is, Ursa Ryan. This man has an understanding of Civ that goes beyond anything I've ever experienced in that he's go, it will be, you know, just sort of chatting and he's explaining how all the different things line up and I'm just there going, okay, I'm, I don't understand any of this. I'm really not very smart. Uh, but yeah, he's, 
this channel's been doing really well lately. So and he's been such a good DM to us for the last two years. As well. Yeah, agreed. Whilst we are still continuing playing our game, um, recording it for our sakes rather than putting it on YouTube, if you want to see any of our previous Xerios uh, campaign, it is up slightly on the Earth of Ryan channel and on the TBA Mondays channel as well. And you can see us with our baby faces. I actually got a notification the other day saying, it's been two years since this episode, and it was episode nine or something like that. And oh we, we, we look so young. You know which episode it was, David? It was the one that you were wearing sunglasses in right at the beginning. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so that was early on with the, with the hags. Oh, uh, oh, God, that was so long ago. That was so we, long ago. We couldn't hit twigs. Yeah. We literally could not hit twigs. Thank you so much for joining me, David. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for going into detail on Barbarian. As, as, as we probably can see, we could have gone on for another hour or two. <laughs> Easily. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening as well. And uh, uh, we'll see you, hear from you. We'll speak to you next time. <laughs> That's brilliant. Brilliant. Bye. See you later.